to another episode of On the Edge with Eddie, Detangling Our Black Identities. I am your host, Eddie Etsy. As always, I am excited for you to join our journey to explore different shades of Blackness, have real conversations and discussions. And like I always say, our conversations, stories, and discussions are not meant to degrade, discourage, or prove a point because, you know, some people be out there thinking, oh, these, they're trying to prove a point. Nope. Exploring Black identities, it's about learning, empowering, giving people a voice to tell their stories, and at times be the voice for people who don't feel comfortable telling their stories. Hashtag, not all Black people are the same. So today, though, I am so thrilled to have with me Nanama Ajimai Asante. And oh my goodness, you are in for a treat. Nanama is one of those amazing individuals. Like I said, I only talk to authentic people, but Nanama is the authenticity of authenticities, right? So a little bit about Nanama. Um, She's a Ghanaian journalist, editor, writer. Um, started her broadcast journey, I think, with the radio um, station Joy FM. She worked with uh, Journalists for Human Rights, a nonprofit which I think was founded in Canada and then served as um, the country director in Ghana. She also is a co-host or was a co-host for um, City Breakfast Show and a crowd-based radio station City FM, which I think they won like a couple um, prizes over the years. Oh, check this out. In 2015, Nanama was named Radio Personality of the Year for her persistent efforts in speaking truth to power. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if somebody wins Radio Personality of the Year for speaking truth, that's somebody that I need to be talking to. Um, she was also awarded the Reagan Fastball uh, Democracy Fellowship by the National Endowment for Democracy. She's extremely sweet. She's talented. She's thoughtful. Madam Boss, welcome to On the Edge with Eddie. How are you doing? <laughs> First of all, gosh, what an introduction. Thank you. That was a lot like to take in. I, I suck at taking in all of that. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. But um good to good to good to see you and yes. I'm happy to be here. Um, Absolutely. So I mean you, you you are one of the the again, I tell you all the time, which I don't think you believe me, but you're one of the Ghana's finest, right? I mean, um and <laughs> the people who don't so know you, the people who don't know you sort of have this image of you as an angry black woman or an angry woman in Ghana, right? And yeah. you know, but I'm an, angry, I'm an angry woman in Ghana. Right. <laughs> I'm I'm angry all the downtime. I mean everybody thinks <laughs> um I understand where I come from, right? Um right. <laughs> you I, we're not used to um because of the way media works in Ghana, um people are not used to women actually having an opinion on things. Um, and so even if I'm not angry just because I am in the space saying the things I'm saying, 
I, I come across as this angry woman. And I, I don't mind being labeled as an angry woman. I actually claim that because I am, I am tired of living with some right. of the problems that exist in this society. So, right. Yeah, it's up to them. I mean, I, I feel like we need to be angry about things, you know. <laughs> things do not work. So. Somebody needs to be angry about something, right? <laughs> well, yeah, so, we like, need to be angry about some of the things. Right. Let's take it back. Let's take back um, a little bit um, your background. Um, you're from Kumasi originally, right? Um, and then again, so that's a, an identity on itself. Um, again, you know, for those listeners who don't really understand sort of the, the cultures in Ghana or the, the different ethnic groups in Ghana, there's a, a, a lot of different ethnic groups. And the Ashanti... Uh, Gosh, over 90. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. The Ashantis um, are sort of the, the ones that claim, you know, they claim, I don't know, the throne of Ghana or, you know, to say or something like that, right? So again, being an Ashanti is a I thing. I agree with that. But... <laughs> being an Ashanti is a thing, right? But you went to school at the University yeah. of Texas. That's also a thing. Tell me a little bit growing up, um, your background, growing up, and then we can talk about when you get into um, the university. Oh, I, so first of all, a bit of correction. So British people called us Ashantis, Ashanti, because they cannot pronounce, for some reason, they cannot pronounce Ashanti. So yeah. they call it um, Ashanti. Um, so I, I, um, I, I was born in Kumasi, um, raised in a really quiet part of um, Kumasi, but my dad was a lawyer. My mom was a teacher at the time, um, went on to become the headmistress. Um, it was basically very read your books, there's a lot of focus on pushing us to read and, and learn um, and a lot of long walks um, with our dad to talk about our day. Um, so if I was to list a, this, my fondest thing from childhood, it would be going on long walks with my dad. But it was very, you know, we're very close. I, I, was, I lived with my dad and my stepmom. But when my dad was around, it was warm. There was a lot of loving care. Um, I went to basic school, went to secondary school, all of that in Kumasi. Um, and then decided I did not want to stay in the same city my dad was when I was going to university where there will be boys. Because mm -hmm. up to this point, um, <laughs> I'd lived a sheltered life, right. you know, only girls were allowed to come visit me. I was going to university. I was meant to wear short skirts yep. and I was going to see boys. And I didn't want my father to be in the jurisdiction. Right. So, University of Cape Coast. What a great motivation, right? You're like, you know yeah. what? It's time to go on my own. So I am out. Yeah. I'm out of here. I am out of here. No one's going to police my choices. I'm out of here. Yeah. Right. So I, yeah. again, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, I think one of your favorite classes in Cape Coast um, was, was it gender and sexuality, <laughs> right? Um, was, uh, oh, yeah, thought, my, my favorite, yeah. Yeah, like thought by, uh, was it Professor Mansapra? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mansapra, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so my favorite, my favorite, my favorite, I, I did economics and sociology um, another time. I'm a reader, right? So if you throw numbers into things, right. you're going to sort of 
just confused me. And so economics was really hard for me. But sociology, I love, you know. Yeah. Um, and sometime in second year, I think, that's when we did gender and sexuality and women and development. And it was, it just, it opened the world to me. Um, it made me see things that they were there, you know, that I hadn't paid attention to, like just the society's treatment of women, the way we were viewed, um, the way we talk about sex and sexuality, all of these things were there. It was just, I hadn't, I didn't even identify some of the things as problematic. I just thought they were normal, you know? So gender and sexuality, yes, is just sort of, I was like, oh, wow, that's, wow. That's a lot. I didn't realize this was problematic. I didn't realize this was a big deal. Yeah, what am I gonna do here? Yeah, so one of my favorite classes. I had a lot of classes in sociology. It was one of my favorites. Was very well, yeah. So that, um, at least growing up in Ghana, a lot of times the, the Ghanaian culture doesn't really allow to have honest conversation about sex, right? It just seems that talking about sex um, is a taboo, right? Which I found very interesting um, because, you know, it, it was like, for me as, as, a, as a guy growing up in Ghana, um, the way I grew up is like, if you look at a girl or touch a girl, she become pregnant. <laughs> right? pregnant. Right. Yeah. So why do you yeah. think that, why do you think that is? Why do you think talking about, you know, sex or sex education um, and maybe in sort of like the, the junior secondary and, you know, even in SS um, is such a taboo? I think we will have to really go back to 1842. Um, prior to 1842, before the arrival of the on the shores of Ghana, um, well, in the rest of Africa, um, the text and evidence on buildings and stuff suggest that Africans were really like free, you know. Um, we didn't have like fixed genders, fixed sexualities and all of those things. But these people arrived with their, first of all, with their Christianity and their, at the time the British joined with fixed Victorian norms of what women should be like, how right. women should behave in society, what masculinity should be, and all of that. And all of that came tied in religion. And so as we have evolved and become who we've become, our parents who were not born, our parents were born to see that. Like, this is how women behave. This is how men behave. You stay pure. You pretend, because we're never pure, but we pretend to stay pure. Um, maintain your virginity before you marry. Actually, men are right. allowed to have yeah. some sex. I don't know who they expect men to have some sex with, but women are expected to <laughs> right. keep their virginity till hell till they get married. I think all of that comes from the religion and and the tradition of the so the the culture, traditional culture that a woman is supposed to be pure and your virginity is something you gift the man you marry. You know, so some right. of it comes from colonization. Some of it comes from African tradition or Ghanaian tradition or customs becoming more rigid than it used to be, all of that mesh together. Um, and so I think, I imagine that if parents have not had practice, their parents do not talk to them about that. And so they've not had practice, right. they don't know what to do. They're not, gonna, they, they're not gonna talk to you about it. They're gonna pretend your organs do not exist. You don't, at some point you don't feel any feelings and hope that you don't get pregnant. And actually right. scare you thinking that if you look the way of a guy <laughs> or a girl, that's the worst thing right. that can happen, you know, instead of having a conversation. Yep. 
I think it's the lack of practice, but also just the the conservative culture and the religion just sort of brings it all together. Yeah. So you make a very um, a great point in that a lot of the Ghanaian culture right now, even you know till today. It's influenced by sort of the the British, right? Um, you know, when the whole slave trade, when the, the the whites came into the country and brought their culture, they imposed out their culture on us. Um, even you know, till today, a lot of the things that we do, it, you know, to the education system um, or even the schools, it's highly influenced by you know the white culture, which you know led me to say, if that's the case, are we as Blacks in Ghana truly free from colonization? Oh, no, I don't. I, I don't. I, <laughs> so I think we'll have to break this down. So I, I think some things were touched. Of course, when you've had years of slavery and then followed by colonization, things are going to change, right? Your chieftaincy systems, the way you treat women the way you treat children, even the way you organize your society is going to shift. So that's that. Right. Um, when the people leave, you're going to, there are things that will remain untouched, of course, and those things yeah. you're lucky to have. And so some of the drums, just some of the things we do for joy and for festivals and those things we preserve, right? That does not inform how you behave per se in certain spaces. So yeah. when those people who enforce these kind of rigid norms when they leave they've left you with this thing you're going to have to actively work to find who you used to be but we haven't had that space we haven't even had a conversation about what happened here those 400 years of slavery of colonization what did it do to the people that lived here what kind of trauma exists how do we begin to heal and how do we begin to form new cultures because you can't you i'm sure it will, it's going to be hard to find everything we used to do right. but right now who do we want to become and so right. we're not just because the british no longer rule the space it doesn't mean they're gone um <laughs> the wealth structure works that setting western powers maintain dominance yeah. and so it's still there and the structures they set up the, literally the structure of the Ghanaian economy was set up to feed the west Right. And that's what pertains 64 years after independence. And so I, I cannot confidently say we're free from colonization. No, we're not. We're still reeling from it. We're not, we're not free from empire. I, I'm not sure we're going to be free. I think it's, it's ongoing work. You know, so it, <laughs> it's interesting because like when I look at the United States and they talk about slavery and you know social injustice and sort of the you know the Black Lives Matter movement, um, and they talk about you know slavery and being enslaved. It's it, it's very similar concept of how the blacks feel here. Of um, yeah, they're still technically enslaved by processes and by sort of um, um, the authorities, right? Um, and you think that. Ghana being a, a black country, <laughs> right? You know, we're, we're somewhat free from the rules of the white, but obviously 
you know, their systems and everything is so embedded in everything that we do that it still somewhat affects us, <laughs> even in an all black. Yes, country. it's really, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I always, I tell a joke that, you know, there is this idea that you can come to an all black country. I cannot actually, I have to say this, I understand when Black Americans come to Ghana and or any African country and they feel free, you know, mm. that kind of freedom because you're not going to deal with the police in the same way you will encounter the police in New York or right. in Minnesota or some right. other place in the West. So I understand that kind of feeling. But racism and white supremacy, mm. still it's in the vein. Right. It's still here. It manifests differently. And so you're probably not going to get killed by the police but you're going to experience it differently. If you and a Caucasian man walk into an office, mm -hmm. I bet you mm -hmm. that Caucasian man might get a better treatment than yep. you in your own country. You, Ed, who's, right. who's born here, whose parents live here, who has roots in this land, you might not get the same opportunities a Caucasian man would in yep. Ghana in yeah. 2021. Yeah. And so white supremacy, racist, the system still exists. It's, it's it's in the veins in the land. Um, but yeah, there are ways in which we can embed, we, we can embody freedom, right? So mm -hmm. you, you can sort of challenge the policeman, you can, if something happens, there can be an uproar and right. there will be a shift at some point. All of those freedoms we enjoy, you know. There's some, I feel like there's some freedom in the way we even walk around here. That oh, when, I was, when yeah. I was in DC and in New York, I, I didn't experience that with Black right. Americans. And I think that there is the history of being in America, living in a police state, a racist police state. That's what right. it is for right. them. But for me, in Ghana, I'm a Ghanaian. The policeman is a Ghanaian man. Right. Usually it's men. And <laughs> yeah. so I'm going to sort of, you know, um, be like, yo, yeah, what? Right. Yeah. And if, if I'm lucky and it's in the afternoon, he's not going to kill me. I'm right. a woman, right? I'm going to get right. away yeah. with it. Yeah. Um, so I understand how free a lot of them feel when they come here. But it doesn't mean that we are free, you know. Right. We're not completely free. There isn't complete freedom. Distractors will exist. Our elite connive with the people in the West. And that's how elites move, right? They connive. Right. To maintain the structures, so we're not free. It's just that we're black majority country and the solidarity. So yeah, <laughs> you know, it's crazy to think that in a black country there is white privilege, <laughs> right? You know, and people really think that white privilege is only it only happens in you know white countries or in America or in the UK, right? In Ghana, nope. when nope. It's all nope. black, in Ghana, right, nope. there is still white privilege. Yep. Because, like, for example, like yeah. you said, and you know what's really what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I'm gonna say, you know go what's ahead. really funny? Anybody with a lighter, first of all, anybody with an accent with a lighter skin mm -hmm. is gonna get that treatment. It yeah. doesn't matter which part of the world they come from. Right. They can come from some really poor country in the yeah. West, but still come and walk all over me because they're lighter. Like yeah, it's ridiculous, skin. but it happens. <laughs> Right, it does happen. Yeah. Uh, I remember. Um, I, I I don't know if I don't know if I was with you or who I was with. 
um, we walk into a restaurant um, and it was the, one of the restaurants in Cantonments, which is usually where the white people hang out when they come to Ghana. Oh, um, Chinese? Yeah. yeah, maybe. Yeah. We walk into a restaurant and, you know, we get there and, you know, there wasn't really any like there wasn't anybody there in line. So, you know, we get it. The waiter is there. You know, she's standing there, you know, like playing with her phone and, you know, asking us, oh, um, what do you what do you want? And we're like, well, we're here to eat. Can you just, you know, tell us where to sit or whatever? Um, and it's like, oh, yeah, I'll be right back. So, of course, he casually walks about and then comes back and be like, oh, your table is ready, right? And then instantly you see some white people walk in and, you know, jumped up and be like, oh, hi, how may I help you today? And, and I'm sitting there yeah, like, they deserve it. serious right now, right? In my own country, yeah. <laughs> there's still white privilege. But anyway, yeah. um, so let's shift gears yeah. a little bit about, you've done a lot of traveling. Um, again, you were in DC, you were in New York, you were in the UK. Let's talk about your first um, sort of cultural view or cultural shock when you got to the United States for the first time. What was your um, perceptive of the U.S. before you got here, and then what was it like when you got here? And then we can then talk about how is that compared to, you know, places like the U.K. or even, you know, Kenya, for example. Um, so before, you know, you, we consume a lot of um, American content. And so you have all of these perceptions of a country where, first of all, things work. Mm. Um, people are equal. Um, there are poor people. How can there be poor people in America? Um, right. <laughs> there are always people walking like, on the street, right? Yeah. Wait, you mean white yeah, people like, poor too? How is that possible? <laughs> yeah. Well, how, how white people? Like what? You know. So you have you think this, this is like literally the land of milk and honey, like things work and people live a glorious life and people are equal and everybody has a certain base quality of life you're fine in America and I get there and it's around it's, it's around winter right um and I see people sort of pulling behind trolleys with all their so I'm, I ask and they're like oh they're homeless people and I don't see just one homeless person. I see a lot of homeless people as I move about. Right. And I'm really stressed because first of all, I'm not seeing just black homeless people, but I'm also seeing white homeless people. Right. It's strange to me. Like how, and it's obvious that this country is wealthy. So first, why is this, why does this problem exist? I can understand when it exists in Accra because my country is poor. But here in this minute, why are your people so like why are American citizens living like this? You know, sometimes right. you speak to a homeless person, you see somebody, and you know, your perception of a homeless person in America too, because of the movies, is that they are dark, they are lazy, but they're not. Like it's just they it's just life that's taking them down that path. So that was really shocking to me. And then I think that was shocking to me was how I could tell which when I'm in a rich part of America and when I was in a poor part of America. Because again, I had been seduced to believe right. that in America, everybody was equal. Yep. But if I went for walks, 
from where I lived and I moved, I could tell I am entering a poor place and I could tell when I'm transitioning to a rich place, just mm. by even the roads and how road, clean yep. the areas were. Yeah. Yeah, I could tell. And that was, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know, and I noticed um, that I, I think when you are, are around Black Americans, one of the first things you notice is the pain. Mm. Um, just even when they are not expressing rage, right? There is something there. It's the pain you see, and when you see Black Americans and you see people from Africa, who people who grew up in Africa, you notice that there's a certain freedom mm -hmm. that the Africans move in America with that Black Americans do not have. That really broke my heart. Mm. But I understand mm. why that is so. It's just that. It was very obvious to me, like, oh my God, speaking after 500 or so years, these are compatriots who were forcibly, forcibly brought here, still do not feel at home. You know, not that we Africans feel at home, but there's, a, there's some marginal difference. Right. Difference yeah. there in the way Africans born in Africa, living in the US, move. You know, the, I feel like Black Americans know that this is a horrible place for them. They've known, and we, we, you know, we we live in we thought we in our country's racist, and we sort of don't give a fuck so we will walk. It's like that, but they've lived with the trauma, and they recognize the trauma in ways we don't recognize. And so there's some there's something there. So there was that um, the poverty, the the racism. Not that I say um, again sort of overt racism while I was there, but I could see it. I could right. see it in in things, in, yeah. in the way people talk to people, even like the way people talk to me. Like, yeah. oh, you're so articulate. I'm like, yeah. what, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that even like, mean? Yep. You speak so English, so, yeah, well, you speak English so well. I'm like, right. that, that, like that's not, it's, it, that's not a compliment, you know, right. like I was, this is not, this is not a language I want to be speaking. I was colonized and I'm speaking it and you're speaking right. it. There's nothing special here. But why do you think that there's something special here? Let's talk about that. You know, so there was all of these sort of um, subtle racist things. Um, yeah. America shocked me. And there's like having um, having a big headache and going to, I didn't realize it, how complicated the healthcare system Mm, in yep, America is yep, yeah like so mind-blowing yes. but also like how expensive it is yeah how right. expensive it is I think I'm I still find America confusing really like <laughs> you know I, like, I have to be honest I've been here for what since well in and out of the United States since 1993 and I still find it confusing yeah. as well right but you mentioned uh -huh. something that uh -huh. I actually never thought about um which Again, like I was saying, you know, for me, you know, when I'm in the United States, I am referred to as an African, right? Um, and so the way I move or the way I function in the space is different from how other Black Americans function in the space. Like you, you made a very valid point that maybe, you know, for us, we know our identity belongs somewhere else. Right. So we have the freedom or we feel free 
to move about differently than someone who was born in the space and all they know is the space, right? And that's something that I've, you know, never actually thought about um, as far as our identity. Yeah, and has yeah, and has been made, yeah, and has been made to feel like that is also not their place because it's right. one thing being even if you were Ghanaian and you were your parents lived in the U.S. and you were born, they are always telling you you're going home. But for Black Americans. This is their home, yet the system exists to tell them this is not their home. And so they're going to move differently, right? There's going to be no trust between them and the other people on the other side, the Caucasian side. Mm. And that's going to influence how they navigate America. Whereas you, you've been told you will go home. You're you're scraping, even though you're probably never going to live in Ghana. You're coming to build a house. Your parents are coming to build a house, that kind of thing. I you have know, that's that's the heartbreaking thing. Yeah, yeah, I have yeah, a exactly. Home, you have right? a home. See, you right. have a home. Have a home. Yep. You have a home. I can always have a home. home. Right. That's also which, exactly, which is, exactly yeah, which, which is why I guess the, the year of the return, um, that that whole movement that started uh, with Black Americans going back to sort of uh, Ghana or you know other African countries, and even now people are trying to find their um, lineage back to Ghana, right? Because a lot of African-Americans are trying mm-hmm. to find where that home is, right? Because like you said, this yeah. is not their home. Or it doesn't feel like their home. And it, the system tells mm-hmm. them all the time that you don't belong here, but this is all they know, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. So let me yeah. actually, so again, that's, that's super depressing. <laughs> <laughs> that, but it is realistic. Yeah, I know. That is, that's exact. That's yeah, exactly how people feel, and that's how people, you know, especially you know, our friends need to know that as an African, you know, that's how I feel, and you know, as sort of white, uh, our white friends, they need to understand that sort of perception or the the view of you know the different blacks, right? Again, like I said, hashtag not all black people are the same. Let's talk a little bit about the UK, right? So then you know you spend some time in the US and then you spent some time in the UK. Um, how are things different in the UK or are they different? First of all, the healthcare man, healthcare, healthcare, look, healthcare chief. Um, <laughs> I, I got there. Um, great healthcare. And I'm like, this is the healthcare British people are complaining about. How dare them? I want this for my people in Ghana. I will not complain again. I will not complain again ever yeah um so i i think it it is also an equal deeply unequal um it's visibly an equal um again you know what they say about the british um stiff upper lip and so they're they're sort of very polite and they're going to be insulting without being insulting overtly and so the racism is again it's not in your face but it's there Yes, yeah. exactly. But it's right. there. Right. You right. have to yeah. you have to pay attention. Exactly. It's there. Um I think when I was there I could again I could see where the where brown and black people lived. I could tell. I could instantly recognize it. And I could recognize where British white British people live. Um I, there was a lot of, I was in Oxford, there was a lot of homeless people. I used to think there is no way, because Oxford is super wealthy, there is no way that this wealthy place has so many 
poor people that people are so homeless again in the winter mm. it doesn't make sense um but there is something i saw in in the uk that i did not see in america there there there's a pretense i don't i don't think they leave generally care about poor people per se but there is sort of a, a pretense of we're doing things to save everybody and so there are parks everywhere that can be accessed by rich poor you know there are these community spaces that people can access together um which for me um when you i'm sorry when you um you've been to the US where it is it's not overtly class as right. the UK is but you don't see some of those like the things that are accessible to everybody everybody can go to this space right um it's sort of heartwarming to see that we're all we can all access this space i guess it's even in that sense it's the ganyan in me thinking if these things were in ghana a poor ganyan couldn't be able to access them because they're poor right. they would feel intimidated that's the voice not open for them yeah. you know um so it's it's that sense um it's the it's the way buses work you know i remember coming to iowa and taking the train to chicago and you driving to chicago to pick me up mm. and then we driving around and me wondering well like why don't you have tra- public transport like just so right. i could yeah. hop on a bus <laughs> exactly yeah um, but <laughs> you know yep. why 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 are you all driving right <laughs> Again, exactly yeah you know and the uk has like massive public transport that again you don't have to so you if you can't afford to buy a car or you don't need to have a car you can still move around you know so that's that was a big difference for me to the existence of public transport that goes everywhere everywhere you know when i was in dc the trains the trains in dc but the trains do not go to georgetown georgetown is mm, one of the richest yep. parts of dc so imagine a yep. poor person around georgetown like how are they supposed to move you know um <laughs> yeah, so there's, yeah. there there's, there are just these differences of the healthcare the public transport um i didn't like the housing for poor people in the UK. Right. But some of it exists. I wonder. So. Yeah. I wonder if it's um so the United States it's a very individualistic community, right? Everything yeah. is about me, 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 me and nobody else. Like, you know, you don't care about your neighbors, you don't care about, you know, your next door, you know, your colleague. It's all about you and being successful and everything you can do to make yourself successful, right? That's the United States. Um versus yeah. you know places like Ghana or maybe in the UK it's more of a community oriented space you know that you know again the saying that says you know it takes uh, a village to raise a child and so i wonder if the sort of the in- individualistic society versus the community oriented society is what sort of differentiates you know the two you know places both western world but you know, again like in in the uk yes there is racism but they're very diplomatic about their racism because they're sort of afraid of what their community will say about them right um versus in the united I, states oh who cares <laughs> i so i hear you on that but i you know my my i have a dear friend in the uk who's lived there longer than i i, I was and 
she used to say, I would say this and she would say, we have to always think about which group of people implemented these policies that have come to serve the UK in this way. So I was talking about housing, transportation, healthcare. Right. And she would say it was a socialist oriented government that took mm. these um, and you know, socialism moves us a different way, whereas the US is very capitalist oriented. And so yep. Yep. there's that difference there, right? Yep. So I think it's, not, I don't think in the UK it's community oriented testers. Um, just mm. because I, I mean, if it was community oriented, we won't have the same levels of homelessness as you have in the, in the, in the, in the US. US. Yep. Um, yeah, I think it's just, at a certain point in time, they were lucky to have politicians or government. That's why we could be the society where we looked out for everybody. And so instead of building a healthcare system where only the rich could afford, they decided why not, you know, not tie healthcare to. So healthcare is not tied to where you work. You, you pay taxes, you're entitled to the same quality of healthcare. And so it's, a, it's a, I think it's the ideology that informs the structures. But the racism, um, again, I was in Oxford, so I would say it probably wasn't in my space as much because Oxford is also cosmopolitan in a way. It's like a black and brown people. It's a, it's a, university, a university town, right? like where you are. So it will be different, right? Whereas if I was in a, very, in a village, I probably would be afraid to go out because, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, not that I don't, you know, I don't trust. Caucasians, but I'll probably be afraid because the world is also changing and I've seen what Trump supporters can do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Oh man, there's so much to unpack. Um, and <laughs> we I are, I am, I, I, I am having a great good conversation, you know, um, and this is just the beginning of our conversation. You have come back for more and more. And, you know, again, there's so much. To oh unpack. gosh. Well, I want to ask you a question, though. You've been asking a lot of questions. I want to yeah, ask you this. So, I've always wondered, I've always wondered that for you, where is home now? Because you're born in Ghana, taken abroad, come home, go live. You literally, you know, your friends are probably, you have more friends in the U.S. and you have friends who are based here right now. Mm -hmm. um, and yet, you do not sound, you, you talk about the Ebonics and all the Black American cultural things because that's, that's not the space you grew up in, so you don't right. have those yep. things. Yeah. So you're seen in the U.S. as African um, and not Ghanaian even, as African. But when you come here, there's also, we're going to treat you differently. We might accept that you're Ghanaian, but we're going to treat you differently. You're going to feel it in the ways we speak to you, in the things we do for you, and right. how we talk about you. So I wonder that for you, where is home? So my home is always Ghana, right? Um, mostly, even, even though, like I said, when I'm in the United States, I, I don't feel like I belong, right? Again, sometimes, you know, I feel like I'm an imposter, right? Um, and I ask myself, okay, I, do I really belong in this space, right? Well, of course I belong in this space because I work hard for it. But, you know, there are times that I sit in, you know, meetings or, um, you know, have, you know, discussions and stuff like that. 
And I sit there and I'm the only um, sort of black person in, in this space, right? Again, in my space of technology, there isn't a lot of blacks in the space of technology in the United States, right? Most of them in the IT space are all white males, right? You know, so again, even at my institution right now, I think I'm the only um, um, black IT director um, with the black person with IT director um, title in the institution, right? Um, and it, it's interesting because when I wow. sit in meetings and I we talk, you know, I sort of listen to the same voice, the same ideas, and the same perspective over and over and over again, you know. And I question, is this really what I want to do with myself the rest of my life, right? Because again, I'm like, I don't, I don't think I belong, and I've never felt that I, I belonged in this space, right? So again, that's one of the reasons why when I started the nonprofit um, Eddie's Teddies, you know, I made it with a focus of going back to Ghana and sort of helping, you know, kids in the village that might not get the same opportunity that I got to be in the United States. But to answer your question, my home to me is always Ghana, right? You know, like you're talking about the freedom. When I get to Ghana, it's when I am most free. When I'm free to walk about, I'm free to do whatever I want to do um, without being questioned, without being looked at differently. Um, I am free to speak multiple languages. And there is such, um, there's, there's, again, there's this just pure happiness that you get when you are with the same um, like-minded people who don't judge you for how you think, right? They might treat you differently because, oh, you have, uh, you sound different or you have the label of, you know, the, the American boy, but, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's just free to be just a, a black person, right? Because no one looks at you and sort of having this, have an ideas of you or pretend to think that they know who you are or, you know, struggle with all these stereotypes, right? So yeah, I mean, my my home okay. always is Ghana. And I've always, you know, told Jomi that, you know, we need to, when we retire, we're going back to Ghana, right? Like you said, we're building houses in Ghana. Mm -hmm. We want um, our children to come to Ghana and sort of uh, be embedded in the Ghanaian culture, know their culture, know their society, and know where they came from, right? Um, but yeah, no, my home is always going to be Ghana. Because I don't, I, I feel like I'm in I, I am. Yeah. <laughs> I, I find it, I, I find, I find that happening to here. Although I, I worry, right? One of the things mm -hmm. I worry is that I worry about is that we, we have these experiences. You move in between Ghana and, and these Western spaces and things work, right? right? It's easy to live the life that if you've had a certain kind of education and exposure, mm. it's easy to, to live a certain kind of life in the West. Whereas if you move back to Ghana one day, you know, this internet that I'm talking to you on could just sometimes I'm in a meeting and it will go off. Right, yeah. Um, or my life will go off. Yeah. Um, or somebody will smash into my car and then have the audacity to call me a prostitute on top of it. It's just chaotic, sometimes really lawless, and things don't work. The government is corrupt and incompetent, and it's deeply frustrating. And I feel, gosh, I, I love this place, but I, 
I'm not sure I want to be here all my life. Mm. It's frustrating. You know, I, I would do anything for the place, but I, I, I keep thinking I understand why people leave because this place, it, it will break your spirit. It you will. Know, it, and- has, it has a way of the breaking you you're right you're absolutely right I think no, part, part of the part of the issue for me and again the only reason why we haven't moved back to ghana is what you just mentioned right um because in, in this space you know i'm somewhat successful right so i can create a better life for my children right um if yeah. i have the same opportunity that i have here in ghana like I wouldn't think twice about moving to Ghana. Like I would move to Ghana tomorrow, right? Um, if I have the same, you know, in, in a job space, and I have, you know, again, I will move back, right? But part of the issue that I have with Ghana is um, the mentality of, you know, sort of the leaders or people in the spaces that are. That are that have the ability to help the younger generation, they don't, right? Um, like, so for example, um, and I came to Ghana and I was at UCC um, and I, I, I was looking at their sort of registration process, right? Um, and, you know- <laughs> Oh God, don't remind me. <laughs> right, so my parents being like professors at UCC, I was sitting there and people yeah. lining up with a piece of paper and going in yeah. and- somebody was registering them right and so i i had mentioned yeah, to my yeah. father that um why why do they have to do that well first of all everybody has a cell phone and it doesn't take that much to yeah. set up a simple website and create a database that people can submit information because they do it every day i mean people input information submitted every day as an institution yep. you should be able to spend less than ten thousand dollars to invest into a registration system that will, you know, alleviate all this waste, right? And I'm like, you know, honestly, if the University of Cape Coast wants to hire me and I, I would do it for them, right? You know, and I'll have this conversation and, you know, there are other uh, professors and lecturers around um, in my dad's office. And one of them um, said, eh, eh, look at, this, look at this young, you know, American boy think he knows everything. Why? Well, you don't think we have thoughts about it. And I yeah. asked and I asked them that, well, with all yeah. the respect, if you've thought about it, because all of you sitting here went to school in America. You've, if you thought about it, mm. why haven't you done anything about it? Why is it like you know? that? Exactly. And, you know, and yeah. the response is, well, you know, um, you know, you think it's easy to do things and, you know, you, you young boys, you think can come and just, you know, implement things and that's not how it works. And, and then it turned into me being disrespectful. And, and so it's, it's that yeah. atmosphere that really like triggers me wrong. Right. I'm like, you know, yeah. at least in yeah. the United yeah. States, yeah. even though, even though I can like, imagine. right in the United States, even though there's like you know the there's the institutional injustice and all of that, there is still um, sort of leaders that recognize the uh, ability, or when they see someone with a certain skill set that they need for their business, they empower that individual. Right? That's not the same in Ghana. Which, which, so again, if I ever move to Ghana, I have to have a good job that will help me create a better space for my children, right? Pay a few million. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, other than that, it's just like, but again, Ghana is always home, like you said, home is always home, but it's just, 
you know, those ideologies and those people who think that just someone is young, they are disrespectful if they offer advice or bring up idea to implement. It, oh, it, how dare that you? Drives me crazy. <laughs> right? That drives me crazy. Yeah. So but, I, I can imagine. Yep. So. I can I I can imagine. It's a yeah. We have issues. Our country, we have issues. <laughs> I don't know what we're gonna do, but I, I think, I think, I think when a place, you know, we haven't had, we didn't have the chance. Ghana is sixty is as an independent country, what, sixty-four years old. That's yep. really young in in country years when the UK has had its like parliamentary system for over two hundred years. It has had time to perfect things, yeah. to make mistakes. Um. And so I am learning to be to be generous and to be patient with the country and and to recognize that other people had had 500 years and not just 500 years but 500 years of plunder from the African continent and it wasn't even just plunder but it's also the the looting of human resources as well and so yep. when you have enslaved people working for you for free you can build these countries they have built we do not have those resources so i am i'm patient yep. while i'm patient i'm deeply 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 unhappy and angry with the political class because right. yes colonization happened slavery happened but it doesn't mean we have to live like we haven't learned any lessons it doesn't mean that people have to be poor you know we can share the revenue from oil from gold from diamonds we can all, you know, we will not be rich, but we yeah. can be at peace. We don't have to wait too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, no yeah, we, we, we have a lot to learn um, as a humanity. <laughs> we, we, I mean, both where yeah. we run, there, there is a lot we have to learn. Um, so anyway, so I am going to definitely have you back on the on the edge with Eddie because again there is a whole new world that we haven't even touched yet the things that we need to talk about we haven't talked about yeah. so I want to um, tease the next conversation a little bit and ask you as a journalist more specifically as a female <laughs> journalist people argue that you endure more compared to your male counterparts right you know there is the issue of uh, misogyny. Oh, I, I, I agree you know there's the sexism and for you particularly being constantly intimidated abused sued um threatened i mean i i don't know like if there's anything that you haven't been attacked <laughs> right they haven't beat me up yet, so you yet right? although they sent somebody <laughs> to beat you one time <laughs> yeah right yeah. <laughs> um, so tease a little bit as far as you know uh, when we get together we talk about this topic you know tease a little bit um how has this, how have you managed this experience, right? Because it's not easy, you know, speaking the truth and then being threatened for speaking the truth. Um, you know, I think it was yesterday or two days ago that somebody was saying, you could go to Canada, you know, you don't have to do this. Um, <laughs> I, 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 um, I think that, um, we all have we all have a a calling, right? Um, 
things that we're meant to do in this life. Um, yeah. Some people are meant to be doctors, they're meant to heal. Some people are meant to be preachers, to provide comfort and care. I see journalism as a job that requires that we offer care. It's a, it manifests, that kind of care manifests differently. Right. So for me, I, um, I, I, I get attacked, I get abused, and sometimes it hurts. I, I call people I love in tears. Like I, I do, you know, it's really hurtful. But I also, I feel like in this moment, in this time, I, this is what I was put here to do. I, I, because it doesn't, for me, it doesn't make any sense to me that I, I worry more about my country than I worry about my love life. Right. Um, I just, I, I don't think I can exist in a space where there is such inequality and I'm okay because my life is okay. Yeah. I, there are people in my, in my lineage who are not as better off as I am. I want them to have an easy life. I cannot provide that easy life for them that I imagine that if a country were, they wouldn't have to call me every time they were sick mm. or somebody needed to go to school. Right. And in my, in my conception of what the divine or God is, I think this is what God requires that we do, that you know, we thrive in community and thriving in community in the space means holding my politicians accountable and demanding or the powerful accountable and demanding that they do right by everybody, not just by people in their class, but by all of us. So I, it does hurt, it's, it's, it's draining mentally, um, but I, this is also home. It's home, it's a place that I know more than 200 people. Right. I know if you yep. say a name, I know the person, yep. it's home. Yeah. Um, it's the place that I can be my black woman self and feel some sense of freedom. Yeah. And and it's the place I wanna be. And if I'm gonna be here, then I'm gonna engage. Um so I'm I, I know it's risky, but it's I feel like that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Also I love journalism, I love telling stories, I love asking questions. So it just it comes together. Yeah. Huh. That's awesome. So again, I, I can't wait for our next conversation. <laughs> we'll talk all things. Yeah. Um, being a woman journalist. Yeah, being Ghana, a woman in Ghana. I mean, there is, yeah. Oh God, there is so much. Um, we need to learn. There's so much <laughs> I need to learn. Um, you know, like always, Nanama. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Um, again, like I don't know y'all, but I'm telling you, Nanama is one of the sweetest people you ever meet. But she has been abused. She has been called ugly. She has been called disrespectful, angry woman, all because she shared her view on a national conversation. I mean, if this is not someone you want to talk to, then I don't know who it is. And I'm a uh, madam boss. You know, I love you forever. Um, <laughs> last, love you too. <laughs> lastly, what I, I always do is I give one minute for you to tell me or, or let's say I give you one minute to tell the world, send a me uh, message to the world, right? What would you tell the world in one minute? Oh gosh, care for the environment. Oh, we're all gonna die. Look, let let where, where wherever space you find yourself, do your bit. Um, speak to your MPs, your senators. Let them introduce policies that will ensure that this planet is cared for and that we survive and the people who come after us survive. Mm. That's that. 
Mm, nice, 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 nice. Ah, oh, that's exciting. You know, like I said, this is just the beginning of our conversation. Um, it's going to continue, and I can't wait to have you back. And let me leave you with this. Never believe that a few caring people can change the world, for indeed, that's all whoever have care does. I am your host, Eddie Etsy. We're on the edge with Nanama, one of the best, the greatest in the world, my own Madam Boss. I can't wait for us to go to Australia. <laughs> or maybe it's New Zealand. I know, I know. I cannot wait. <laughs> right. I can't we wait. I really want to go too. <laughs> we need to make it happen. So anyway, it, it <laughs> has been to, to you. Um, and, you know, I, I, I am definitely speechless. I've learned a lot in our conversation. If anybody has any questions uh, or comments, feel free to reach out um, on the edge with Eddie. Um, Eddie, Etsy at gmail.com. Again, that's eddietetsy at gmail.com. Reach out. Let's have a conversation. And that's a wrap for today. We out.